0: where we're continuing a series on Old Testament heroes of the faith this morning. Pastor Greg started us out a couple weeks ago with Abel and then Noah last week, and this week we're up to Abraham. We'll be reading Genesis 15 this morning, which is about God making a covenant with Abraham, Abraham, or Abraham, as he was first called. We'll read the whole chapter. This is God's word for his people. After this the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O oh, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. This is God's word for us today. So at some point in the past few weeks, Pastor Greg came into my office and told me that I would be doing the Abraham sermon in this series, and I had two thoughts right away. First, great, there is a lot of good stuff in the Abraham story. And second, wait, there is a lot of good stuff in the Abraham story. How in the world am I going to cover all of that in just one sermon? So I thought about it for a few days. I tried out this idea and that idea, and I just didn't really get anywhere. But then one night, when we were reading our evening Bible stories with our sons, the Abraham story in that Bible story book popped out at me. We've been reading the Big Picture Bible lately, and that's a kid's Bible story book that tries to give a picture of how the whole Bible fits together as one big story. And when it comes to the story of Abraham, the Big Picture Bible talks especially about how God promised to give Abraham a people and a place. So this morning, we're going to talk about a people, a place, and a promise. First, the promise of a people. At the beginning of Genesis 15, God tells Abraham not to fear because God is his shield and great reward. And Abraham responds with faith in the Lord, but also with a question. O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I don't have any children and a servant will inherit everything I have? How can I be blessed if I have no children to carry on after me? Now, in Abraham's time, not having children was seen as a curse. In effect, Abraham is saying to God, God, how can you say you're going to bless me when I am under this curse? Abraham has been faithfully following God for some time now, but he's still not seeing much evidence of the promised blessing. And so Abraham asks a question, and God responds. Oh, in verses 1 and 4 of Genesis 15, it says that the word of the Lord came to Abraham. And when the Old Testament uses that particular phrase, when the word of the Lord comes to a person, it's usually introducing a prophecy. When the word of the Lord comes to someone, God is making a special authoritative statement. This is a proclamation of something that will happen or a call that must be obeyed. And here in Genesis 15, verse 4, the word of the Lord brings a sure promise to Abraham. You will have a son, and in time you will have so many descendants that you won't even be able to count them. And God brings Abraham outside and gives him a new vision. Look at the stars, God says. Count them if you can. Count them till you're exhausted if you want. That's the number of descendants you will have. And as Abraham stands out there and looks up at the night sky, he feels reassured. One of my favorite parts of camping is staying up late at night, letting the fire die down, letting the campsite go quiet, and then just looking up at the stars. And if you get somewhere away from the city lights and then away from the, the electric glow, and you look up at the stars, you see an amazing sight. There are thousands upon thousands and millions upon millions and billions upon billions of stars in the night sky. And if you have any kind of spiritual sensitivity, it's hard not to be amazed at the awesomeness of those billions of stars and at the power of a God who could create all of them. So God gives Abraham a vision of his amazing power And he makes it also an image of how superabundant the blessing of a people will be for Abraham. Abraham isn't just looking for a child or two. He isn't just looking at a few descendants. He isn't just looking at a single nation. Abraham is looking at thousands and millions and billions of descendants. And in the light of that vision, Abraham feels reassured that God will keep his promises. And so verse 6 tells us that Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. It's not really that Abraham had any new knowledge of God at this point. It's that Abraham has a renewed and a deepened trust in God. So that is all good. God gives Abraham a promise and a vision, and Abraham believes and trusts. But as the Abraham story develops, the fulfillment of this promise takes a long time long time there is a huge divine delay in the fulfillment of this promise abraham and his wife sarah had already lived for years and years waiting for a child and still after this promise they had years and years left to wait before they saw the first glimmer of their future descendants they had to wait so long that sarah laughed out loud when she next heard that god would promise them a child Most of us have times of waiting and waiting around for God to fulfill his promises in our lives. For some of us, this text is really hard to hear because just like Abraham and Sarah, we're waiting for children with empty arms and there doesn't seem to be anything happening. For some of us, this text is hard to hear because the hope of children has faded away into the past. For others of us, we're still waiting for the sense that we really belong to a family, to a people, even to a church. And so we wonder with Abraham, Lord, how are you going to bless me as long as I continue under this curse? What can you possibly give me that will make up for this lack in my life? What can you do for me As long as I am coming home to an empty house day after day. Is my faith not enough? Does God not really love me? Are we not really recipients of the promise? What does it mean for us that God promised to give Abraham a people? Now in Abraham's own life, time dragged on and it seemed like God delayed and delayed But then in the end, God did fulfill the promise of a people for Abraham. Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, and then along came Jacob. And after Jacob came the 12 descendants of Abraham, who would eventually make up the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And if we jump ahead to the New Testament, Jesus Christ comes as the greatest promised descendant of Abraham. Through the redemptive work of Christ, all of the nations are now welcomed into Abraham's new family, the church. From Abraham's time until now, God's people have spread through the whole world and all kinds of nations and tribes and people have become Abram's descendants in the faith. Hebrews 11 and 12 summarizes all this by saying, By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man... And he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. The sovereign Lord promised descendants to Abraham. God gave him a vision of the countless stars as a sign of that promise, and he has fulfilled that promise in a line that runs from Isaac all the way to us here today. Abraham's descendants really are as numerous as the stars in the sky. You wouldn't be able to count the number of Abraham's children any more than you could count the stars in the sky. And each one of us here is part of Abraham's children. The promise of a people in Genesis 15 is about us. Each one of those stars that God pointed Abraham to is representative of one of us. If you are part of the people of God, you are part of the promise of a people that God gave to Abraham. And your presence in this place today and your faith is a fulfillment of God's promise in Genesis 15. You are a sign of God's covenant faithfulness to Abraham. But that still leaves many of us waiting. We would love to experience the blessings of God in such a tangible way as Abraham did. Some of us are still waiting for children of our own. Some of us just want a stronger sense that we belong, that we have a family, that we have a people who have got our backs. So many of us are still waiting and still missing something. And God doesn't take away all of our pain and suffering. God doesn't always miraculously or magically cure childlessness or isolation or loneliness. We still have our struggles the pain still endures. We can't just say to hurting people and to hurting believers in our midst, it's okay, everything will be okay, don't worry about it. Sometimes what we experience in our lives sticks with us to the end, and we never really get what God is doing this side of the grave. Sometimes we wait and wait, and we wonder and we wonder. God doesn't always take away all the hurt And he doesn't always give us all the answers that we want. But what God does continue to do is to provide us with a person and with a people to belong to. God came in the person of Jesus to make all of us Abraham's spiritual children. In the work of Jesus, God shows us that he cares for us, his people, so much that he gave his own son to save us from our sin and ultimately from our misery. In Jesus, God shows us his willingness to enter into the emptiness of our lives and to bring new hope and new life. And God also gives us a people to be part of. God gives us his spiritual family, the church. And even if you are at the end of your rope, you still belong to God's people. Sometimes our pain and our questions never go away. But at least God gives us a people to journey with, to walk with, even when the road gets really, really hard. Abraham's children are still part of God's family, even in the midst of delay and pain and uncertainty. Now, often we aren't as good at this as we should be. In a number of ways, we drop the ball. We don't really get involved in people's lives. We miss the hurt in someone's face or someone's voice. We don't seek out ways to get behind the happy face that other people bring to church. And we don't let other people get back behind the happy face that we come to church with. But in God's people, in this church, we have the opportunity to be part of a unique people. In the church, we are part of a people who God has promised to make endure forever. These other people sitting in the pews with you, if we all share in Abram's faith, we all will be a people together forever. And what better place could we look for fellow travelers on the journey and for encouragement as we seek to follow our Lord? Now, along with promising Abraham a people to follow after him, the sovereign Lord promised Abraham a place to go to. And in Genesis fifteen seven, God reminds Abram that He brought him out of his homeland to bring him to the promised land. And in verse eight, Abram again responds with a question: "O Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it?" Immigrants and wanderers often struggle a bit with how to make a new place their home, with how they can ever feel like they've really arrived. Last week while we were moving, I got into conversations with a couple of the movers who were helping us, and they both had this just defining sense of not being where they belonged. One of them had immigrated here from Algeria, and he sure didn't want to go back, but he kept clinging to his identity as a person from there. I am from that place. Another one of the guys had had his mother and grandmother immigrate from Lebanon, and the greatest dream in his life was to go back to the Middle East and to find the place where his family came from. Now, these guys had no doubt that the place they were now was better than the place they had come from, but they still felt that urge to go back to the place where they belonged, to go back and feel that connection with the land that was theirs. So it's no wonder at this point in the story that Abraham is looking for some assurance that he will actually take possession of the promised land. He's looking for a sense of rootedness, a sense that there will be a place where he can settle and where he can belong. Abraham at this point has left behind an awful lot. Not everything, but an awful lot. And he has become an immigrant, a wanderer, and a stranger in a foreign land because God has promised to bring him to a new place. But as Abraham continues to wander year after year after year, he needs assurance that somehow, someday, he will arrive. And God in this chapter gives him that assurance. Abraham falls into a deep sleep in verse 12, and God comes to him in a dream and gives him a prophetic picture of the future of his people. Abraham's children will live as strangers in a foreign land for a long time, but in the end, God says, they will come back and they will take possession of the promised land. But again, there is a huge divine delay between God giving this promise and God fulfilling it. Abraham is reassured by God that his descendants will inherit the land, but Abraham himself never saw that happen. Hebrews 11.9 tells us that by faith Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham spent the rest of his life on the journey in a tent, going in and out of the land that God had promised would be totally his. He and his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren spent their lives wandering, never able to settle down and have a place to call their own. And of course, God did, just as he had promised, eventually bring Abraham's descendants out of slavery and up to the promised land, and the people entered the land and lived in it. It took centuries, but God did fulfill the promise he made to Abraham. And at the coming of Jesus, that promise expanded from the nation of Israel to the whole world. In the New Testament, the promised land shifts out from Jerusalem to encompass all the people and all the places of the earth. In the Reformed tradition, we like to talk about how every square inch of creation belongs to God. And in Christ, God claims the whole universe for himself. The Lord promised Abraham a land for his descendants But in the New Testament, that promise gets broadened out to include everywhere that Christ will someday reign as king. But of course, we haven't gotten there yet. Just like Abraham was never really able to settle down in the promised land, we aren't really able to settle down and just rest in the place that has been promised to us. God is still delaying the final fulfillment of this promise. And for us, as we wait and wait, we run the danger of falling asleep on watch. The Newsboys are one of my favorite bands, and a few years ago, they had this song called Lost the Plot. And that song talks about how believers start out full of expectation and hope. We know how the story's gonna end. We know about God's promises and God's plan, and we wonder when Jesus will come back. But then as day passes day and year passes year, we get distracted. We stop hearing the call. We settle down, God's promises fade into the background, and we just get on with our lives. When you come back again, goes the song chorus, would you bring me something from the fridge? Heard a rumor that the end is near, but I just got comfortable here. When you come back again, Jesus, could you bring me something from the fridge? Heard a rumor that the end is near, but I just got comfortable comfortable here i just got comfortable here we know that god has promised a place for us we know that god is preparing a place for us but we get distracted by this and that and we just get too comfortable here the ease and the safety of our lives can lure us into this feeling that we've uh, we've arrived in the promised land but we haven't. We are still aliens and strangers on this earth. Hebrews 11 says that Abraham and all of God's faithful people spent their lives still looking for a better country, still looking for a heavenly city whose architect and builder was God. God continues to call us to follow in faith, to keep trusting in his promises, and to keep our eyes looking ahead to the place that he has promised us. So a people and a place. But in the end, the story of this chapter is all about the promise. In Genesis 15, the sovereign Lord of the universe makes a binding commitment to do for Abraham what he has promised. Now after Abraham asks, asks his promise of God in verse 8, things get a bit weird for us modern readers. Abraham gets this bunch of animals and birds together, and then he has to cut them up and arrange them in a certain way. And then Abraham falls into a deep sleep, and God comes and gives him this sort of strange dream about what's going to happen in the future. And after that, in verse 17, when the sun sets and the darkness falls, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appears, and it passes between the pieces of the animals. Now, it's hard for us as modern people to make any sense of the symbolism here, but what is clear is that God is making a binding promise to Abraham. It says exactly that in verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. This act creates a binding covenant, a promise of God's forever presence in the life of Abram and in the life of all of his descendants. Now that fire pot and the blazing torch that passes between the parts of the animals probably represents God's presence. And that passing between the animals is what scholars call a self-maledictory oath. A self maledictory oath. And basically, that's an agreement that something really bad is going to happen to you if you break the promise you just made. The person passing between the animals is saying, If I don't fulfill this covenant exactly how we've agreed, may what was done to these animals be done to me. This is a promise signed in blood. There is no backing out of this kind of thing. If you don't fulfill what you've agreed to, your life is forfeit. God's promise to Abraham of a people and a place cannot be broken because God has freely bound himself to it. And throughout the Old Testament, God does watch over Abraham and his descendants in amazingly faithful ways. But of course, it's hard to see how the Lord could possibly take an oath on his life. How can God really sign a blood covenant? If God breaks the covenant, who is going to enforce the punishment on him? Nobody can do that, right? Right? But when Jesus comes in the New Testament, we see just how serious God was about binding himself to Abraham's people. Through this ritual in Genesis 15, God established a covenant And if that covenant was not kept, God agreed to pay with his life. And in the end, God did keep the covenant he made with Abraham by paying with his life. Now, the Lord never broke his end of the bargain, but Abraham's descendants again and again and again ran away from him. Over and over, the people rebelled. Over and over, they earned for themselves a death sentence based on their behavior before the Lord. But in the end, God himself took the death penalty that his people had earned. In Christ, God took on himself our punishment. When God made that binding promise to Abraham, he was entirely serious. No matter what it took, God would see that covenant fulfilled. Abraham would have a people and those people would have a place. And today, even though we're God's people, we break every promise that we make. If you look back over the years and the centuries, God's people have never really been very good at keeping the faith. We do things our own way. We make gods for ourselves. We make ourselves into pretend little gods. We keep breaking our promises day after day, year after year. But the Lord God, the Lord God keeps his promises no matter what. Our sovereign Lord is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. God promised our father Abraham that he would give him a people and a place, and God has kept that promise from then all the way up to the end of time. God fulfills his promises even in our lives. God has made us his people God will someday give us the whole world. God himself suffered and died to keep that promise that we would be his people and that he would be our God. We need to keep living in the faith, but we don't need to be afraid because just like he was for Abraham, God is our shield and our very great reward. What God has promised for us, he will fulfill.